All right. So yeah, today we're continuing our series um, through Luke, where we're uh, looking at the heart of God. Um, so the last couple of weeks, Micah has really shown us God's heart by going through the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. So he's shown us that in the anointing of Jesus at his baptism, God claims Jesus as his Father. He says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. So we see, we, we look into the relationship through that, through the Spirit descending on Jesus, anointing him as the Son of God. And then, so that's two weeks ago. And then last week, Mike talked through um, earlier in Luke 4, where so Jesus has received his status as the Son of God, and now the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and confirm his identity as the Son of God. So last week, Jesus is led out into temptation by the devil, and he proves himself as the Son of God, not by testing God as the devil tempts him to do, but actually displaying ultimate trust in God. So we see the trust that is founded between God um, and Jesus, his son. And so we have Jesus's anointing. We have um, his testing in the wilderness. And now as we come to our text today, which will come from Luke 4, uh, 14 through 30, we see that the spirit is now empowering Jesus in his mission as the son of God. So he's been anointed, he's been tested, and now he's being led into his mission as the son of God um, to do the work that God has called him to do. Um, so that's where we find ourselves in Luke 4, and I'll go ahead and read verses 14 through 17. Um, this is a narrative, so I think really what we're going to do is just go section by section um, and see what, see what Luke is telling us. So we'll start in Luke 4, 14 through 17. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So we're going to go ahead and stop there and kind of just set up the background of what's happening here. Um, because before we look at this interaction that Jesus has um, with, Na- with Nazareth, we need to zoom out and just look at Jesus' life in general. Because uh, Nazareth, like, it, that's Jesus' hometown. Uh, so he grew up there, and Jesus, he actually doesn't begin his public ministry until he's around 30 years old. So he grew up in Nazareth. Um, these people are familiar with him. He, he turns 30, and he's baptized. Uh, he goes out into the wilderness. Um, and he actually goes into Capernaum first, uh, as we'll see later in the text. He actually goes throughout the surrounding regions of Galilee um, before he comes back to Nazareth. Um, and so they've heard, they've heard of his ministry. He has a growing reputation. He's been teaching in synagogues um, throughout the region of Galilee. Um, and they really they have big expectations for Jesus. Because um, they heard this report of him. They're like, we know Jesus. He grew up with us. And now he's famous. And he's going around the country. Um, and he's coming back home. And so they have really big expectations for Jesus, and that's kind of the setting that Jesus comes into um, at Nazareth. And so we'll go and keep reading verses 18 through 21. Um, this, is, this is what Jesus is going to teach them. This is what he's proclaiming to them as the Son of God. So we'll start in verse 18. Um, he's reading out of Isaiah right here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim... Proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set out liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So we'll go ahead and pause there. Um, So like I said, the crowd, they're expecting something big from Jesus, and he delivers it. So he delivers it right here, coming from um, Isaiah. Isaiah 61 is what Jesus is preaching out of right here. Um, It's what he proclaims. And the scene, uh, it's kind of funny to me, um, because it reminded me of Christ's fellowship a little bit, because they didn't have the scroll ready, like, for Jesus. They handed him the scroll, uh, and he has to flip through. He's not, like, flipping through a book. Like, it's a scroll with 66 chapters um, that he has to find. And so I kind of imagine, like, maybe the intern is running the show, and, like, they don't have everything set up for Jesus yet. Um, so maybe some technical difficulties, um, and things are kind of going slow. But he gets there, right? So he opens up the scroll. He gets to Isaiah 61, um, where this prophecy comes out of. Um, and he, procla- he proclaims the word of God to them. He gets to, he gets, so he gets to Isaiah 61. Um, he reads it, the, the prophecy that we just covered. And he reads it standing up. So in the synagogue, their custom was that the teacher would come, he would stand up, and he would proclaim the word of God. So he would read scripture, and then he would set back down. And when, when he would sit down, that means that he's about to explain the scripture to the people. So he's about to apply this to their lives. And that's why everyone's so fixed on him right now. All their eyes are on him. They're expectant. They're wondering what Jesus is going to say um, to them to explain this passage, what it means for them. Um, And this is what he says, right? He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus, he doesn't really apply to their lives. He just says, look, this prophecy is about me. Like, I I am the one, I'm the Messiah that Isaiah 61 points forward to. I'm the one bringing all this blessing upon uh, the people of God. So I'm bringing liberty to the oppressed, right? I'm bringing sight to the blind. I'm ushering in this new age of salvation, right? So it's this huge announcement um, it's this huge claim that Jesus makes, right? Because Nazareth, um, all, the, all the Israelites, they've been waiting for years for this Messiah to come. And Jesus, this guy that they know, that they saw grow up, he's saying, look, I am this guy. I'm the one that is going to bring in these promises of God. I'm going to announce this good news to the poor. So it's a really big claim. Um, and it seems like the people of Nazareth, it seems like they take it well at first. We'll go ahead and read verses 22 through 30, and we'll see the Nazareth um, synagogue's response. It seems like they take it well at first, um, but we'll see later it goes downhill (laughs) for them. So we'll start in verse 22 here. So this is right after Jesus says, like, "This this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in, the, in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that that they could throw him down the cliff. 
but passing through their midst, he went away. So I want to back up to verse 20 here, or not 20, verse 22, where it looks like the, Nazar- it looks like the Nazarenes accept it, right? At first it looks like they're, they're kind of buying what Jesus is saying, right? They marvel at his words. Um, they see that, yeah, his gracious words coming from his mouth. And so it seems positive at first, um, but then they ask a question. They ask to themselves, among themselves, isn't this Joseph's son? And this question, it sounds like an innocent question, but it actually reveals the state of their heart. It reveals that they don't really believe like, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's too familiar to them. He's grown up with them. They know who he is. They say, is this, isn't this Joseph's son? And it's almost like they're saying, like, Jesus, you need to slow down a little bit. Like, these claims you're making, like, they sound great, they sound awesome, um, but at the same time, like, we know you. We grew up with you, and, like, I don't really think you can accomplish this, right? And so there's just a lot of doubt. Um, they, think, they think Jesus is just a hot shot, right? That's going throughout the country, making promises um, that he can't keep. And so this really reveals their heart, um, that they're doubting him. They just call him the son of Joseph. Son of Joseph. But what Luke has been really emphasizing in the last couple of chapters is that he's not the son of Joseph. Jesus is the son of God, right? That's his identity. I'm the son of God. That's what Jesus is proclaiming to them, um, the coming Messiah. And they reject it. Um, and they reject it, and it really hurts because that's, you know, that, these are Jesus' people, right? These are the people that know Jesus, his family and his friends that he grew up with. And this is all, like, this is the purpose of Jesus' life, to proclaim this good news. And those that he, are, that he is closest to, they're the ones that reject it, right? Those are the, those are the ones that doubt it. Um, the ones that he would probably want to believe in him and his mission are the ones who turn on him, um, who neglect it, and they reduce his mission. And it's mainly because they don't understand how radical this mission is. So they don't understand what Jesus is saying through Isaiah 61, right? They think of physical, earthly uh, blessings when they hear this. They think of liberation from Rome, right? Rome is the province or the country that is suppressing them right now. Um, They're thinking of a physical liberation. And this actually reduces down um, the claims that Jesus is making. Because Jesus is saying, look, I'm not bringing physical freedom I'm bringing a, a spiritual freedom, right? A spiritual liberation from sin um, that all of us are in. Like, all of you guys are in this state of sin. All of you guys are indebted to God because of your sin. And I'm bringing in a new age where your sins are forgiven, right? I'm bringing in this new age where you really are set free from the power of Satan. You're set free from the power of sin. So this is what, this is even bigger than anything they could imagine, Right? He's, Jesus is bringing in not just a new physical you know, freedom for the people. He's bringing in a new age of salvation, right? Prophecies that have led up for hundreds of years are now, are now culminating in the claims of Jesus. Like Jesus is bringing in this new age as the Messiah. And part of this is seen in, is, part of this is seen in Jesus announcing the year of the Lord's favor that we see in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, another name for that, which you guys may have heard, is the year of Jubilee. Um, which has Old Testament roots um, coming out of Leviticus. And basically, the year of Jubilee in Israel, um, every 50 years, the Israelites, any Israelite who was enslaved, um, who were, if they were working off their debt to someone, um, anything like that, they were set free from their debt in the year of Jubilee. So they didn't have to pay it. They were set free from their debt, and they were allowed to return to their home. They were allowed to go home free of charge, Right? The people that they owed everything to, they paid their debt, they were released, they went back home, and they could see their family again. 
They would be provided for um, all out of just the grace of God, right? This is a celebration of God's favor upon the people of Israel. And so this is what Jesus is announcing. He's announcing a new year of the Lord's favor where people are set free from their spiritual enslavement and they're set free to come and see the light of Christ, right? To receive sight, to receive vision of God. So this is who Jesus is, and this is his mission. So imagine the pain that Jesus feels when his very own people reject him, when they doubt this message that he's bringing to them. They don't believe that he's bringing in this new age. They just want him to make their lives a little bit better. That's ultimately what they're getting at, right? Like, we, we've heard that Jesus, that he's done miracles elsewhere in Galilee. He's coming here, so maybe he can do some miracles for us, right? Maybe he can make our lives a little bit better. And even worse, they actually feel like Jesus should do this stuff for them, right? He, uh, he, they feel entitled to the blessings of Jesus because they know him, and he knows them. They're like, you know, he's one of our, he's one of our own. He should be doing this stuff for us. Uh, so they feel entitlement, and we see this in verse 23, where Jesus says, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So many of you guys know I moved into a new house a couple weeks ago um, with some roommates in Memphis, and it has a lot of problems. The main problem is that our AC has been out since two Sundays ago when we moved in. The AC has been out downstairs um, it's been frustrating. I've talked to our rental company, uh, no progress, but I, w- I won't get into that right now. Um, but, so our AC has been out for the last two weeks. And imagine, I was picturing this scenario, imagine if my older brother, Levi, he comes home and he's like, hey man, I know your AC is out. Like I've heard, like you've talked to me about this. I know your AC is out and you need it fixed. But look, I've inspected the foundation of your house and your house is actually gonna collapse on top of you guys in a couple days which I, really, I wouldn't really be surprised if that was actually true. But he says, look, your house is going to collapse on you in a couple of days, and you guys need to get out. But the good news is that I have, this, I have a new house for you, right? I have a new house that you can move into. It has AC, it has furniture, it has everything you need. Right? I have this new place for you. All you have to do is just move in. I'll help you move in. And so I respond with, hey, that, that sounds really good to me. right? That sounds great. I like what you're saying right now. Um, so to him, I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But on the inside, I'm like, I don't really know that Levi can pull this off. Right? Like, I, know, I know Levi. I grew up with him. Like, I don't know how he has access to this new house. Uh, I don't know how he knows that our foundation is cracking. And so really, I kind of have this disbelief um, that Levi doesn't really know what he's talking about. Doesn't, he can't really provide what he's offered. Um, but at the same time, let's say I've heard Levi's been fixing other people's AC. Right? So he's been going to strangers' houses, he's fixing their AC, and I'm like, look man, you know, you know that my AC has been out for a couple weeks, and you're my brother, and you haven't fixed it yet? Like, don't you feel like you should be fixing my AC, right? making my life a little bit better? And that would be seen as a rejection, right? This would be me disbelieving Levi's claims that my house, like, I'm in danger, that I need all this help. I just want him to make my life a little bit better, and I feel like he should make my life a little bit better, because uh, he's my brother. And this is a rejection that Jesus actually receives, right? The people don't really get the danger that they're in. They don't see him as the son of God who's bringing in this new age of salvation. Uh, they just see him as the son of Joseph, the son of Joseph, um, who can like work some miracles for them, who can make their lives a little bit better. Who actually should, in their mind, they think that he should make their lives better, right? They have this entitlement, like, Jesus, you need to do this for us because we know you. You know us, right? You're one of our own. 
So have this, they have this sense of entitlement. And we see that Jesus' answer is pretty harsh. Right? He's rejected by them in this. And his, his response is pretty harsh. And he actually uses their own history against them. Because right? their claim is that, you know, we're, we're Israelites, right? We're the people of God. We're righteous. And Jesus says, you want to look like, at history? You want to look at Israel and this claim that you're making? Um, you'll see that this is actually consistent. Right? You'll see that rejecting the prophet of God um, is in your history, right? When he goes to, when he says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, he's actually proving to them that he is a prophet of God. Because just like the Old Testament prophets, he's being rejected by his own people, right? He's being mocked. Um, eventually he's going to try and be murdered by them. He's, he's being rejected. And so he's saying, look, the history that you claim as righteousness, this just points to the rejection that you have of me. It points to you rejecting the message of the Lord, rejecting his truth. And he proves this through two uh, Old Testament examples, one from the prophet Elijah, one from the prophet Elisha. And both of these consist of the people of Israel rejecting the prophet of God, other than the prophet of Israel going out outside of Israel and bringing blessing to people who are outside of Israel. Right? And so if we go to the story of Elijah, it comes from 1 Kings 17. Um, Ahab was a king of Israel at the time, and he was a terrible king. Uh, he, instituted the, he instituted the worship of Baal, a foreign god, into Israel. Uh, Elijah, he announces that God is going to put a drought on all the land because of this foreign worship, right? So Elijah proclaims punishment um, that is upon Israel because of this worship of a foreign god, and it results in a famine. And Ahab doesn't like that, obviously, and so Elijah has to flee Israel and hide Right, so he's rejected after proclaiming the message of God. Elijah is, project, is rejected and must flee Israel. But during his hiding, God leads him to the city of Zarephath, um, which is outside of Israel, but it's still affected by the drought that has come on the land. Right, the people there are still in need of, of food, in need of water. Um, and God leads him to a widow in the city of Zarephath. Zarephath. And God provides for this widow through Elijah. God speaks through Elijah and he gives this widow all that she needs, right? Gives her water, gives her food for her family. And so we have Israel in desperate need, Elijah going out and bringing the blessing of God to someone who is on the outside, someone who actually accepts God, accepts his message. And the story of, the story of Elijah is actually similar. It comes from 2 Kings 5. Um, it talks about Naaman the, Syri- Naaman the Syrian was actually the army commander of Syria. Syria was an enemy of Israel at this time, one of their main enemies. And, and he's the one that is healed. So on one of their raids, Naaman's army, they kidnap a girl from Israel. The girl is brought back to Naaman's household, and she notices that Naaman has leprosy. She goes up to Laman, or Naaman, and she says, hey, uh, there's a prophet in my, hometown of, in my hometown in Israel that can heal you, right? If you just go see my prophet, he'll heal you. And so Naaman, even though he's the enemy of Israel um, in Syria, he goes into Israel and he asks Elijah for healing, right? And Elijah tells him, yeah, go bathe in the Jordan River and you'll be cleansed. The same river that Jesus is actually baptized in is the one that Naaman the Syrian uh, bathes in and he's cleansed. So again, we have this pointing forward of, of rejection by the, peop- the people of Israel, blessing brought to those who are on the outside, blessing brought to those who Israel would consider as their enemies. Um, and it has a lot of parallels to, the time, to Nazareth, right? To them, because Nazareth, they would consider Jesus as their people. They would consider themselves as the one who deserved the blessing of God. 
But even before this, Jesus, he's been in Capernaum, right? He's been working miracles among people, among Gentiles, who wouldn't, who wouldn't be considered as the people of God. And Jesus even heals um, the centurion's servant, right? So another military figure that is the enemy of Israel, uh, someone in his, in his service is healed. So we have a lot of parallels, right? Um, but what is the point? Like, what's the point of this? The point that Jesus is really saying here is that, look, you guys have rejected the message of God, and they respond in anger. See, these Old Testament stories, they infuriate the Nazarenes because Jesus is saying, look, you are, like, you are these people. You are the ones who have rejected me, who are rejecting the message of God, and, you, and you're not going to receive his benefit. God's going to pass over you. You guys won't receive his blessing because of your rejection. And it's pretty close to home, right? They get upset. They get really upset of, of him. Um, and the rejection really comes from their, their disbelief, right? They don't really believe that they need the claims that Jesus is making here. They don't believe that they need um, the year of the Lord's favor, right? The true, they don't believe that they, they really need the true good news of the gospel, right? They actually consider themselves still righteous. Um, they don't want Jesus to bring true healing to the land because they don't believe that they're sick. They don't believe, like, they don't believe that they're blind. They think they can see right now. Um, if we go to their quote, right, they, they would quote to Jesus, Physician, heal yourself. They're saying, look, just make our lives better. But Jesus, if we looked at Luke 5.30, Jesus says, look, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so it's their pride that blinds them to their true condition, right? It's their pride that blinds them to their true spiritual state of poverty, of disease. So these, these are the claims that they're rejecting. Um, they're people that need their debts forgiven and their eyes opened. Um, and it's this accusation of them that they're a spiritually impoverished people that actually sends them over the edge, that actually enrages them. Because um, really what Jesus is saying here is, look, you find, they find their identity in being a righteous people of God. They're saying, look, we're a righteous people of God that deserve his blessing because we're good people. And Jesus is saying, no, you're an unrighteous people of God who don't deserve his blessing because you don't even think that you need it. Right? So it's like a slap in the face to them. He's, he completely reverses their identity, reverses who they think they are. Um, and they, they can't handle it, right? They're filled with wrath. Um, they filled, it literally means that they're breathing violently. Uh, they're filled with wrath. Anger's blowing up within them. And they decide to take this anger out on Jesus, right? So they drive him up the hill. Um, they're seeking to throw him off the cliff. Um, but by the power of God, Jesus escapes, right? And that kind of concludes, like, the narrative section right here. Jesus, he proclaims the word of God to his people. They question him, they reject him, and then they try to kill him. And so that's the content of the story. But I want to zoom out here, and I want to look at the placement of the story. Because Luke actually places this in a different place than Matthew and Mark do. So Luke, he places this narrative at the beginning of his gospel, um, but Matthew and Mark, they place it towards the end of Jesus' ministry, um, after he's actually already done all these other healings, worked all these other miracles. And so Luke, he's not trying to confuse us. I think he's actually trying to tell us a message here. He's trying to communicate something to us by placing this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I think what we find is, that Jesus, he didn't come to be praised, right? He didn't come to be praised and be accepted, but he came to be rejected, and he came to be killed. Uh, so this narrative actually lays out a pattern that reoccurs throughout Jesus' ministry, where he proclaims the word of God to his people, to Israel, and they question him, they reject him. Even though he fulfills the scripture, 
he's rejected, and they seek his death, right? They seek a violent death for him. So what Luke is saying here is, look, this is, this is going to be Jesus' ministry. This is what God has called him into. It's being rejected. It's being killed by the ones that call him his own. And this is what he's laying out for us. So he didn't come to be praised. He came to die for us. And we see this because in the end, you know, in this story, they try to drive Jesus up the hill. They try to throw him off the cliff, and he escapes death. So we think of this as Jesus as escaping death. But I think what Luke is actually trying to say, is, say to us is that this is Jesus beginning his march towards death. Right? He escapes death here, but he begins marching towards death at the end of his ministry. He begins marching towards the cross, where again his people reject him. Right? He proclaims the message, his people reject him, and they drive him up a hill again. But this time he doesn't pass through their midst. Um, this time he actually hangs on a cross before them. He's nailed to the cross. So this all points forward towards his death, um, towards his ministry of being rejected by his own people. And it's actually by being rejected by his own people that he fulfills this prophecy that he, uh, that he speaks in Isaiah 61. Right, so it all ties together where he proclaims this message from Isaiah 61. He's rejected by his own. And at the end of his ministry, by dying on the cross, he fulfills this message. Right? So as the Messiah, he proclaims the message, and he also fulfills it at the end of his ministry by dying on his cross. Because if you look at, if you look at Isaiah 61 here, like who are the poor? Who is Jesus really talking about um, as the poor? Because it's not just physical circumstances. Because Nazareth, they were poor. Like they were a small town. Um, they had a lot of poverty, a lot of, a lot of peasants. Right? They, would be considered, they would be considered the lowly. But they're really not the poor because they think that they're righteous. Right? So Jesus is speaking about people who are in need of a Savior, who are in need of the grace of God. Those are the poor. Right? And he's proclaiming good news to them. And really, he's proclaiming good news to us because we are the poor. Right? The, we are the people that Jesus is speaking to here. Because um, it's, not, it's not because of our external circumstances that we're poor. It's because of the internal condition that we have that we're poor. It's because of our sin that we have an impoverished life where we need Jesus to step in and bring us the good news. Right? We need him to, to free us from the captivity that we're in to our sin. So this is the good news that Jesus actually has for us. Right? That he has taken our, our spiritually impoverished condition and he's placed it on himself by dying on the cross. Uh, he's took our blindness upon himself. Right? He, he went into darkness so that we could see God. He could no longer see his father on the cross. So he's, he's turned blind so that we could see. We could see the goodness of God. We could be given sight. So Jesus, he's fulfilling his ministry as he dies on the cross, as he fulfills his mission. He's paying our debts, right? He's paying our debts by dying on the cross. So we can really enter into God's favor, right? So we can receive this blessing from God because our sins are forgiven. Our debt has been paid for by him. So this is what Jesus is communicating, and this is what Jesus is fulfilling at the end of his ministry. And he actually, he speaks the same words to us that he does to the Nazarene synagogue, where he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus, he really has accomplished this for us. He's speaking to us who are the poor, who are in need of his grace. Um, he's accomplished the salvation for us. And he's so much more than just a familiar face that we can, that we can go to to make our lives a little bit better, right? That was the problem that the Nazarene synagogue had, that they just wanted Jesus to just improve their life. Like, we, we know you, um, we think you're good, but just make our life a little bit better. And that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the Savior, right? Jesus, he's not the one who can just make our life a little bit better. He's the one who can actually give us a new life, can recreate us, right? Can bring us in 
to eternal life um, can transform us. And this is the good news, right? This is the good news. That it's not just a temporary fix. It's a total reversal, a total renewal um, of the state that we're in. And so the call for us, like the application of this text for us, is just believe that. Right? Just believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that he suffered rejection by his own people so that we might be accepted. Those who are far off, those who are outside, may be accepted um, because of his rejection, because of his death. Believe that he really has liberated you from the power of sin. He has freed you from sin, freed you from condemnation, so you may come and glorify him. You may come to know him. Uh, Really, you may come home. You may come home to know your father, uh, come home to know God. So believe in him. Don't just see him as a familiar face. Believe in Jesus as the Son of God who has fulfilled what he has promised to fulfill. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, uh, we just praise you this morning. Uh, we just thank you for Jesus. I um, just thank you for his sacrifice for us. I uh, just thank you for sending him to earth um, to endure pain, to endure rejection from those he was closest to. Uh, so that we might be brought in. So that we might be healed of our illness. Um, might be freed from our sin um, and come to know you. And I just pray that you strengthen our faith in that, uh, strengthen our faith and our understanding of the gospel, um, of how that changes our life, uh, how it doesn't just improve it, but it totally renews our life um, and gives us a foundation to stand on. So I just pray that you lead us in that truth. Um, let us believe it and all that we do. In your name I pray, amen. You stand with us as we respond to the